I was given the honor tonight to bring the message, Walking in Love in Christ, Ephesians 5, 1 through 21. I wanted to take a practical look at how to walk in love with practical examples of how this affects how we get from one day to the next as Christians trying to walk a Christian walk in this world. You know, um, some of the brothers have been up introducing themselves when they come up here, and I kind of really like that. When I'm sitting in the pulpit uh, pew back there and I see somebody I don't know, honestly, the first thought is, you know, who is this guy? Where did he come from? You know, what's he all about? And and I think those thoughts are are valid. I really do. I'll take a few minutes here. My name is Rick Glancy. Um, I got saved in the Marine Corps in 1974 walking guard duty one night. The Gideons, uh, they supply a Bible. I just lost my mic thingy here. Pocket's better, huh? Anyways, I got saved walking guard duty one night. The Gideons give you a little Bible when you go into the service and... It's like a New Testament, little Psalms. And then in the back of it, it has a, a prayer. It says, if you'd like to receive Jesus, you know, recite this prayer, mean it from your heart, and sign your name here. Well, I still have that little book. It's in the headboard of my bed. And, you know, I got off to a rough start, kind of rocky. I started going to a few of the traditional denominational churches. I, I really didn't understand what it was about or what a good walk with the Lord was. I was familiar with uh, Calvary Chapel, uh, the early 70s there, it was pretty hard not to be if you were in Southern California. And if you went to the pier or got on a bus, somebody would stick a track in your ear and start sharing with you. I admired their conviction, and I think that's what made Calvary uh, the church that it, that it is today. Um, I started getting involved with my wife and kids. We started going to Harvest when they were very young. And then eventually Calvary Chapel in Moreno Valley opened up. And we went there for almost 12 years. 21 years ago, this past 4th of July weekend, my wife and I walked through the back doors because we moved up here to the high desert. First person I met, oddly enough, was Pastor Zeke. He wasn't a pastor back then, but he was a nice enough, friendly sort of fellow, very nice guy. We stayed for a few years till our kids moved out, and then my wife and I moved on to uh, some other things that we wanted to do. We got involved with the Christian Motorcycle Association for a while, And when we finished that, a a new Calvary Chapel had opened up. We uh, started going there and got involved with that for eight and a half years. This past summer, the Lord brought us back to feeling. Uh, Pastor Zeke welcomed us back uh, as the nice guy that he is. But, you know, something strange. You know, when I look in the mirror every morning or every night, I am rapidly decomposing. I mean, (laughs) seriously, things that weren't there, you know, are there things that were there left change somehow. This guy looks pretty much the same as I remember him from years ago. Healthy living, uh, friends in high places, I don't know. Anyways, without further hesitation here, I'd like to get into Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 1, 1 through 21 today. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all cleanness, covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. 
Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you're in the light. Of, now you're in light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. Whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Father, we thank you for this word that you've given us, Lord, and we thank you for allowing us to meet here in the freedom of this country today. And Father, thank you for giving me the opportunity to share, Lord. What an awesome honor. And Father, help me not to blow it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, uh, our brother Gary did a fine job uh, of Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to recap a little bit of the last part here where he left off. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for that day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. I want to take a look at the grieving of the Holy Spirit there maybe a little bit later here. But right now that brings us to verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. I like the way the New King James uses that. Imitators of God as dear children. There's one thing I do know about children. They are imitators of their parents. These little guys, when they're at a certain age, they are like sponges. They suck up everything they hear and everything they do. And I'll tell you, they imitate you, the TV, whatever's around them, they will use. It's like even at home when my kids were little, you know, if I said something that maybe wasn't quite right, maybe off color, maybe a potty joke, you know, just something foolish like that, they will take it and they will run with it and they will beat it over and over again until you have to tell them to stop. And then they will blame you for saying it first. But I like this, uh, comparing to dear children here. And I want to tell a story real quick. My wife, she has a purse. and She has a lot of purses, actually. And they have different names, and I don't really understand the rank structure there, but, you know, a handbag, a clutch. But I picture her throughout our marriage digging in her purse for something. I don't care what I ask her for. If she goes deep enough in there, she will come up with something I need. And it's just the way it is. Women have some sort of, I don't know, female accounting system for what's in that bag. It's, it's amazing. But that being aside, I, I woke up one morning needing a drink of water about 2 in the morning, and it's dark. And I usually don't turn the light on. I know where the kitchen is. I know where everything is. But as I'm going, and as one brother mentioned, watch out for those Lego blocks. 
they really do hurt. They're like little rug landmines. But anyways, I heard a noise in the living room as I passed by. And it's not the kind of noise that would make me get my gun and start shooting stuff. But it was a, a rustling noise, kind of a peaceful, quiet noise coming from the living room. So I flipped down the light. And there's my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter sitting on the floor on the carpet in the dark by herself with my wife's purse between her legs. And she's picking things out, and she's looking at them and putting them down. And she's going through the whole thing. And she was the image of my wife. The mannerisms, the way she did it, the way she handled things, she was the image of my wife. She'd seen her do it so many times. She was imitating her mom. I'm not sure what she was looking for. Maybe I couldn't get it out of her. She was too young, but maybe she was trying to learn that accounting system you guys got, but (laughs) she was exploring. Well, if her children imitate us, how do we imitate our Father who is in heaven? Imitate God is what they're telling us to do here. Well, we know that Jesus is God manifested in the flesh, come to earth, and we have a whole Old Testament that tells of his coming and the things that he would do when he got here. We have a whole New Testament that tells of what he actually did and what he continues to do for us now. We can imitate Christ because we know what he's he's about from reading his Bible. Tonight I'm up here before you and I'm imitating Jesus. Jesus taught on the mount. He taught in the garden. He taught in the wilderness. Jesus taught spiritual things from a boat. Now granted, the best that I can be tonight is a cheap imitation We are talking about Jesus here. When I thought about this, I would rather have said that I was imitating Dr. J. Vernon McGee or maybe Pastor Zeke. I I don't even like putting my name in the, the same place as our Lord. But nevertheless, I am imitating the Lord tonight as we teach. How else can we imitate God? I want to take a story from the book of John. John chapter 4. The woman at the well. I'm going to read it to you. It'll just take me a few minutes. So we came to a city of Samaria, which is called Shikar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. When the Samaritan woman... When the woman of Samaria had said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink of me? A Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that says to you, Give me a drink, I would have asked, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I'm going to stop there. Many things about this story have always fascinated me. Okay, one, knowing that that Jesus was actually God come to earth. And Jesus could have just sat there and spoke to the ground and it would have opened up and a little trickle of water would have come up like a fountain and he could have just tilted forward slightly and got a drink. But Jesus didn't do that. He could have spoken to this existence, this grand water fountain made of porcelain with golden fixtures and marble stairs coming up to it. And no doubt the the water would have been chilled just to the right temperature. But our our God doesn't work like that. He didn't do that either. He asked this woman that Jews won't even talk to to get him a drink of water. I believe that the reason he asked her for a drink was to initiate a conversation with her 
so that he could share spiritual things and tell her about her spiritual life and about who he was, the one that would have given her the living water. God used that as an opportunity to bring the gospel to this lady, to teach her. She perceived right away that he was a prophet if we, if we read the story. She missed it a little bit. He was God Almighty, come to earth. But nevertheless, that, that story fascinates me. And you know, I will probably never go to Samaria or Sychar or probably never get a chance to talk to a Samaritan woman. I don't even know if the place exists anymore. I didn't care enough to look it up. I really have no desire to go there. But you know what I can do? What I can do is those three boys that skateboard outside of one of my favorite restaurants, I can walk up to them one night and I can just ask them a question out of the blue, maybe about their skateboard or about something else. And I can start to tell them the spiritual things about their spiritual life, about God, about how Christ came to earth, how he died for his sins. I can begin to do that. I have the ability to do that. I don't have to go anywhere. I can't do much, but I can do that. I can share with them. And we should share with them. If we want to walk in love in Christ, that's how we do it. We share love with them. I don't think you can walk in love in any other way except with Christ. Not really. I want to read another story here that Jesus did that always made me wonder and I love very much. Matthew 15, it comes from, feeding the 4,000. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitudes because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Then his disciples said to him, Where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven and a few little fish. So he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and fish and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave them to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled. They took up seven large baskets full of fragments that were left over. That's a pretty big miracle. I love that story. They say that there were women and children there. It probably totaled more like several thousand, seven thousand. You know, I, I, in me, in myself, I do not have the ability to feed several thousand people. I don't think I could buy them a cup of coffee at Starbucks even. At least not more than once. But this is a great miracle. And I believe that if, if the need arose for me to go to the wilderness and feed several thousand people that were hungry, I believe that God could indeed give me a portion of his spirit and power that enabled me to do that. But right now, I can do nothing of the sort. But you know, brothers and sisters, what I can do is, that guy that sits over by Panera on Saturday morning, he's out of work, looking for a handout, looking for a job. Sometimes his wife is there. You know, Jesus had compassion on those people. I can have compassion on this man who sits there on Saturday morning. I can buy him breakfast. I can do that. I have the ability. I have the means. The Lord's giving me the resources to do this for this man. And we should do that. We should have compassion on people. We should be a part of our life, a part of our walk. I can do that. Moving on to verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for sweet-smelling aroma. Jesus sacrificed. He sacrificed all for us. 
I want to read something out of Isaiah here. Isaiah 53, a portion of it. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Christ sacrificed everything for us when he went to that cross. But you know what? As I read the stories in the Gospels of what Jesus did as he was accomplishing his mission here on earth, the crowds pressed in on him everywhere. Wherever he went, there was a commotion and people following and things going on. Looked like a very busy time from the description that we get on the Gospels. And I don't care how busy he was. I don't care how, how much he had going on around him. If somebody came up to him and touched him, his garment, or, or tried to get him to heal their daughter or, or open blind eyes or ears, he always had time. He sacrificed his time while he was here doing his father's mission. And so should we. As we go through this earth, we should do the same thing. No matter how busy we are, Jesus sacrificed. It was part of his life. My question tonight is, and I'm just throwing it out there, what are we as Christians willing to sacrifice for a neighbor or a stranger here tonight? In America, it seems to me that most will not deny themselves one good thing. They will not sacrifice anything. The majority, okay? The majority of Americans will not deny themselves one good thing if they don't have to. I know that there are secular philanthropists that you know throw money out there and help causes and get involved with things, and, and that's well and good. They do it for their reasons. And I know there are Christians in this church that sacrifice. I know that. And I've seen them. And I know there's Christians in this church that also share with boys that are on skateboards. I know some of those guys too. But I was going to go through a series of hypothetical questions here just to see if we can analyze in our mind what we would do. Can we find time in our day to change a tire for a woman on the side of the road with her car? Most of the brothers here would probably say, yeah, I've done that probably. They're good men here. What about if it was on our way to church? Would we stop and help that same woman get our Sunday clothes dirty, be late for, for worship, miss part of the service? Maybe fewer would stop. What about on our way to work? Would we punch the clock late? That might be a little harder, huh? Would we sacrifice in the midst of our mission, in the midst of our walking through this life, will we stop and sacrifice for people like that? A co-worker is seeking, for a, seeking a couch for his kids. He's on the bottom of the food chain at work, doesn't make enough money. He wants a couch for his kids to sit on on Saturday morning. Will we go into our fine living room and give this man a couch or a love seat to sit on? Would we do that? That's a hard one. I was faced with that decision once, or a decision similar to that. I wasn't going to go here, but I will. Circumstances were a little different. Me and my wife were pondering buying a new living room set. We had the money to do it. There was nothing wrong with the old one. It still looked like brand new. But I gave it to this gentleman at work that I knew needed one. Many of you say, well, you just blew that reward, and I really don't care. I, I could give a rip. 
I did it because I thought it would please God at the time. I thought it was the right thing to do. So it is what it is. Anyways, I carried it up two flights of stairs with them, windy ones, to the smallest apartment I've ever seen. I mean, it was labor, labor intense, trust me. Anyways, when I bought our new living room set, I didn't have the, the joy that I thought I would have. Why wouldn't I just buy the guy a brand new living room set? What was it in my heart that made me buy the new living room set when I had a good one? Why didn't I just buy him one? It's something I had to search my heart about. Can we sacrifice for other people? When we put it in real terms and in real incident, instances, it becomes a little harder to, to see what we would really do. Sometimes we'd have to be faced with it. What about the guy begging gasoline at the gas station on Monday morning? We're over there filling our truck up, thinking, oh, this will last me the week if I play it just right. He comes over with his little five-gallon can and says he needs some gas to get the bar still. Would we pull it out of our tank, short ourselves, take some of our gas money and put five gallons in his tank? Many of the brothers would, probably have, probably do crazy stuff like that on a regular basis. But what about if he had track marks between his fingers and on his arms? Would, would we do it then? Would we be still willing to? That's a good question, huh? You know, in that multitude that Jesus fed there, the 7,000, I know there were people there that were there with less than pure motives. Some came to watch him, to be entertained. Some came hoping to see another miracle or to see what they could get. Some maybe to collect evidence to, to take to the Jews, to, to use against them at some point. But it says he fed them all. That's something to think about. Moving on, I'm going to read Ephesians 5, 3 to 7 now. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. You know, everybody knows pretty much that fornication is one of the big ones that ruins many lives, uh, tears up many families and stuff. We hear a lot about that on TV and from some of the pastors that are in the limelight and some of the things they've done. But I wanted to take a look at the foolish talk and coarse jesting. (laughs) We live in a world where that is commonplace. When we're at work, I don't know what occupation you have, but people are filthy and they talk filthy. They are constantly trying to outdo each other with depravity and filthy talk. And some of the guys that uh, work for me, I don't think they could describe something to you unless they use several four-letter words. I don't know if they have a lack of descriptive words or adjectives, whatever, but every other word is a four-letter word. That is their commonplace. And it can rub off on us. I have a quick wit sometimes and I can come up with some one-liners pretty good to, to join in with them. I have to grab my mouth and walk in the office. Stay away from them. Don't be partakers with them. We have no, no part in this. This isn't for us. They're children of darkness. Verse 5 I wanted to take a look at. Covetous man who is an idolater. I never put those two together before but I guess they fit hand in hand. A covetous man desires something that someone else has or desires something to, to hold and to have. 
And idolatry worships, worships that thing he has. I used to think of idolatry as having a little statue of Buddha or you know those little Catholic statues. Those things weird me out, man, those little Catholic statues. I hope there are no Catholics here, but it, it, they give me the creeps, man. But anyways, I used to think that that's what, what it was about, you know, idolatry. But you know, my friends used to say I used to bow down and worship my Harley in the evening when I cleaned it before I went away for the evening, that I primped with it too much. They did the same thing, by the way. Okay. And, you know, I, I took that to heart once and I thought about it. And, you know, anything that we spend too much time on can be an idol in our lives. We all know that as most of us are mature Christians here from what I see. And uh, it's just uh, one of those things we need to think about. What is it that's in my life that's taking my time from prayer? Is it a TV? I don't know. <laughs> is it, you know... Some activity that I do? Is it my bike? I don't know. Whatever it is, it needs to go. Or it needs to be cut off for a while. Verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. That's not for us. We have been appointed unto grace as Christians. Wrath hasn't been appointed to us. We are children of the light. And we've been appointed unto grace, not unto wrath. And I like that. It's a very soothing feeling for me. But that's not to say that though we've been appointed unto grace and though we are children of light, that does not give us the right to walk in darkness. It does not give us the right to fool around with these guys and course jest and carry on. It does not. That's what we call grieving the spirit when we do those things. Our brother hit on that last week. That grieves the Spirit of God when we act like the heathens. We act like the guys around us. It should not be. In verse 7 he says, Do not be partakers with these things. Verse 8 and 9, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. You know, it it occurred to me, you know, and Zeke kind of hit on this a little bit Sunday, but... We were once darkness? He didn't say we were surrounded by darkness or we were fooling with darkness or that darkness was going to come upon us. He said we were darkness. You know, darkness is kind of an interesting thing, but now we are children of light. Christ has made us children of light and we are to walk in that light as it says here. But I looked up uh, a couple of things on the internet and a couple of things I knew. Darkness cannot be measured. There is no measuring stick for darkness. Light can be measured. There are several different ways to measure visual, visual light. But darkness can't be measured. For we were once darkness. Christ is light. We were darkness. We had no part of him before we received Christ. I want to quote something here tonight. I'm going to stick my neck out on this. And I want to make a disclaimer before I before I quote it. It's from Albert Einstein and reading some of his stuff. Einstein was not a Christian by our standards. I do not believe so. He had a belief in God, but it was a non-personal God. It's not the God that was described in the Bible to us as we read it. But it was profound and it made me stop and think and do some more research. Albert Einstein. God did not create evil. Just as darkness is the absence of light... Evil 
is the absence of God. And I started thinking about that. I went and started looking up evil to get as many definitions as I could. And believe me, every place that you go has a slightly different definition of what evil is. And God has none of those characteristics. I can assure you, none of them. So there is some truth in what this man says. I wouldn't form a doctrine around it or anything or hinge my salvation on it. But that's an interesting thing he's talking about there. Matthew 5.16 Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. God gave us the light. What are we to do with it? We're to shine it around. That's what we do with it. Let the world see it. Sometimes the best witness you can be is just to live your life in a godly manner and not say nothing. Verse 10. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Well, I took a look at this and I could come up with nothing profound. Read the Bible. You want to know what's acceptable to the Lord? Read the Bible and pray. God will show you. It tells you all over the Bible what's acceptable to Him. And for the Christian, if you do something that is unacceptable, you can rest assured that the Holy Spirit will convict you of that and you will know that it's not acceptable to the Lord. And if you're like me, and you wait a few days until you decide you want to repent of that, whatever it was, you will find yourself on the side of the bed at 3 in the morning, knowing that you need to speak to your father and deal with this. Maybe there's something different with you guys. I don't know. If I get too far out there, I wake up in the middle of the night, and I know that I know that I know that I've got to pray about this. But it's really quite simple. Read the Bible. It tells you what's acceptable. Pray. Verses 11 to 14. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Wow. That is, that is something. So we should let our light shine before these people. If we let our light shine before them, our light will expose their shamefulness. It may make them angry, I have to say. It may make them angry, but it may win them to Christ. We may never have to speak a word to be a witness. And if they are won over to Christ by our witness, then they will have been given the same light as us by the same God. And then they can shine their light. I want to tell another little story here. I know I've told quite a few, but that's the way I, the way I go here. You know, I, I had my door open in my office, and I could hear some guys working outside. It was a nice weather. I didn't want the air conditioner. I left the door open. I could hear these guys talking out there, and one of the guys started really letting some foul things go. And two other guys said, hey, hey, don't say that. Don't talk like that. He's like, why? You guys do that? and You guys are worse than me. What are you talking about? He goes, he's got his door open. He doesn't like that. We don't do that around him. I'm like, wow. For once, I'm a good witness. I never told them that they couldn't swear or cuss or use those words. It's not my place in that company to, reg- to legislate righteousness. I-, I can't do that. I can be a witness in, in certain ways. I can't get up you know, before work there and start pounding the gospel into their head. I won't last long at this job. But I can be a quiet witness and 
But once I, I, I guess it, it turned out good. These guys knew that it bothered me, even though I never told them they couldn't use those words. They told another not to use it because they recognized that I didn't like it, which I didn't. Verse 15. Walk circumspe- <laughs> See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. They certainly are. How do we, how do we be wise? Where do we find wisdom? Well, brothers and sisters, in this church, if we don't know where to find wisdom after our pastor makes us go over and over and over and over again to the book of Proverbs, man, I mean, we should know above everybody else where to find some wisdom if we need it. The book of Proverbs. The entire Bible is wisdom. We read it, we'll be wise. But also there's James 1.5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to them. Liberally and without reproach. God knows I'm a dummy. I, I can come to him and ask for things. He knows I need this. And it says he's going to give it to us, liberally. That's how we find wisdom. Read his word. Read the Proverbs. Continue. If somebody in here isn't, then I suggest it. There's some really cool things in there for living a life today in this world. As I said, the days are short. days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise. Understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord is an interesting subject that's been discussed by many. And most believe that there is a general will for Christian. And it just happens to fall into one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Three things, that's pretty simple. To do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. If we take some New Testament stuff and Put in there, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We'll be rolling pretty good then. We'll be walking in love in Christ. And then there's that specific will that people need to find. And you know, if you're doing God's general will here by doing these things, loving mercy, doing justly, and walking humbly with God, we're praying, we're reading our Bible, we'll find his specific will. He'll open a door, he'll give us a desire to serve someplace or be involved with something. And there's always this verse, the steps of a righteous man are well planned by God. We can actually just rest in that. If we're righteous in Christ and we're doing what we're supposed to do, we're reading our Bible, we're praying, he'll show us the way, we can rest in that. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, verse 18. I don't really think that Paul was meaning here to have a talk about too much alcohol and drunkenness and stuff. I think he mentions this here in comparison with being filled with the Spirit. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Because the next couple of verses are really 19 and 20. They're evidence of a spirit-filled life, quite frankly. Although we can find many verses that deal with drunkenness and, and too much wine. 
I don't think that's what Paul was really intending here. 19 says, Speaking to one another in, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to be filled with the Spirit here is what he's telling us. Don't be filled with the wine. Be filled with the Spirit. And like I said, verse 19 and 20, all these things of speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and making melody, these are like evidence, really, of being filled with the Spirit. And I read this here today. We need to be filled with the Spirit so we may radiate the joy of the Lord upon the world. I thought that was pretty cool. We need to radiate the joy of the Lord when we're filled with the Spirit. I'm going to go on to something here. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. I I truly hate the word submitting, um, whether it be at work or whether you're in the service and have to submit to superiors. or It's just something that has always rubbed me the wrong way. But when I became a Christian and I started walking with the Lord... This thing doesn't seem to bother me so much anymore. You know, with the, with the help of God and His grace, I can submit to my pastor and elders and brothers in the church who are justified in what they say to me. I can submit in that way. And he's taking off here and going in a whole other direction after this when we get to the next chapter. But I wanted to throw something else out there. You know, if we want to be imitators of God, if we want to walk in love in Christ... I love this verse also, First Peter. I think it's one of, the, one of my favorites. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. We want to imitate God? Be holy, for He is holy. And I looked up holy, just to, I'm sure I've done it a million times, but just to see what, what it said. And there are many definitions uh, and many different references about what it means to be holy. The one I chose tonight is this one here. Holy means having a spiritually pure nature. That's what we need, a spiritually pure nature. I need that. If we want to walk in love, we need to be imitators of God, teach God's Word, love like Jesus loved, Sacrifice like we've seen him sacrifice tonight. Share spiritual things like Jesus did and have compassion on people like Jesus did tonight. You know, this really was written for, uh, for Christians to, to look at as a kind of a rule book of how to stay in check and live a godly life. And I probably enjoyed doing this more than anything that I've done in recent years here, or at least teaching this here. And I want to go ahead and close in prayer right now so the people and the powers that be that need to come up. Father, I thank you for this day that you've given us. I thank you for your word, how it fills us. I thank you for your worship tonight, Lord, how it motivates us to love you and to follow you even more. And may it radiate on our face, the rest of the world, the joy of God. Thank you tonight. In Jesus' name we pray and we thank you. Amen. So stand together.